So in this second panel, we are going to try to concentrate ourselves on the Middle East policy of Turkey and Turkish foreign policy. There are so much to say about this. Although, as I mentioned, the first panelists attend in our zone, uh, we are not in series. We have so many different topics to talk about. Um, in this panel, we have, again, three speakers and plus one moderator. And we are going to begin with Professor Charles Erhab from Ankara University. Then Alan Makowski is going to continue. And at last, I'm going to tell one of the interesting field study in the Middle East for Turkish foreign policy. And I'm going to tell some future perspective on this uh, quantitative research. So Professor Erhan, please. Thank, thank you, Chair. Um, good afternoon, everyone. I would like to start with thanking the Think Institute for inviting me here uh, for this timely conference. Uh, in the first session, we heard a lot about the Turkish foreign policy, how it changed within 10 years. And uh, in fact, my main argument in this speech uh, is that contrary to what has been said in the first session by some of the speakers, I do not believe that the Arab Spring or the recent developments around us are the main causes of the failure of Turkish foreign policy in its neighbor, neighborhood. I think my thesis, as I said four years ago, five years ago, I repeat the same thing all and over again, that the main argument, the essentials of the so-called new foreign policy was problematic. In order to make an assessment of this argument, I would like to recall everyone what was the main principles of this so-called new Turkish foreign policy. I'm sure many of the Turkish experts already know those. How can I go forward? Yeah, just, okay. In 19, uh, 2009, uh, Professor Davut Oluvenki was, he became the Turkish foreign minister. He launched a new Turkish foreign policy depending on six main principles. All these principles you can reach easily from Turkish foreign minister's web page. They are still there. And he said that our foreign policy will be run according to those principles to strike a balance between freedom and security, zero problems approach. When we talk about new Turkish foreign policy, many people think the only principle is zero problems. No, zero problems with the neighbors is only one of those six principles, but it is one of the most important of those six principles. The third one is the effective diplomacy towards neighboring regions, not only to the neighbors, but to the neighboring regions, such as the Middle East, the Balkans, the Caucasus, Black Sea, East Mediterranean, harmony with the global actors, effective use of international forum of Turkish, Turkey's priorities, creation of a new perception of Turkey. Now, let's look at these six principles and let's try to understand why do we have some shortages, some failures in our foreign policy. 
because mainly this is my evaluation there are some really problems and contradictions between those principles let's look at the first one to strike a balance between freedom and security if your neighbor is a dictator as that was a dictator 10 years ago he didn't turn into became to be a dictator just three years ago when Arab Spring started. If your neighbor is a dictator, and if you speak about uh, freedom and democracy to him, how does he pursue your explanation about democracy and freedom? And look at the neighboring regions around Turkey. All those Arab Spring incidents erupted in republics. Tunisia was a republic, Egypt was a republic, Libya was a socialist republic, Syria is a republic. Why don't you think or question not in none of the monarchies we see such an incident? And how can Turkey import the very notion of democracy, export very notion of democracy to those countries and then keep good friendly relations with them. If you your country is a kingdom, do you think the notion of democracy is a good thing for you or not? Or how a king in the Middle East, when Turkish minister or prime minister is speaking about democracy, pursue this notion of democracy? Do you think it's a good thing or bad thing for it? Secondly, what if your neighbors do not like each other? Okay, Professor Dagi made a reference to Armenian as uh, Turkish peace initiative or reconciliation initiative. But you know, all this process, unfortunately, I also was a supporter of this process, unfortunately failed. Not because of Turkish or Armenian sites unwillingness but because of Azerbaijani attitude. Because Azerbaijan is our neighbor, Armenia is our neighbor, and how can you pursue zero problems with both of your neighbors in a position when these two neighbors are, have a lot of problems? 20% of Azerbaijani soil is under Armenian occupation. So you want to have good relations with them, at the same time with Azerbaijanis, but they do not like each other. So from the beginning, this was a problematic principle. What if your neighbors have problems with your allies? Turkey is one of the best friends of the United States in the region, and NATO allies since 1952, a strategic partner, a model partner, whatever you call, we have high-level relations, but our ally, United States have deep problems with Iran. So when you try to have good relations with Iran, at the same time, is it possible to keep the same level of good relations with the United States when Turkey and President of Brazil visited Iran in May 2010 and they signed an agreement with Mr. Ahmadinejad, then President of Iran, it was highly reacted by the United States. And just 15 days later, United Nations Security Council imposed new sanctions on Iran 
in which Turkey and Brazil voted against it. Then Turkey was a non-permanent member of the United Nations Security Council. But at the end, we had to obey with the new sanctions. So this principle also was problematic. And it is valid for Syria as well. Syria and United States had also many problems from the beginning. Finally, what if the global actors have diverting objectives? One of the principles was to have a harmony with the global actors. What are the global actors? Are they the five, P5 of the United Nations Security Council? Yes, you may say US, UK, France, China, and Russia. When, when, when we look at our region, they have a lot of conflicting policies towards the towards Syrian problem, towards Iranian nuclear problem, to energy balances in the Eastern Mediterranean, etc. So how can you be in a harmony with all of the global actors at the same time, if they are conflicting with each other? You have to be either with this side or this side, or keep your own side and try to persuade them to come with you and pursue your, your position or direction, which never happened in two, two years. Therefore, I totally reject all these kind of evaluations that Turkish foreign policy was in a good order, in a good direction, with the new principles, and then this Arab Spring happened, then we uh, started to uh, have some economic problems, etc., etc. Then we uh, have a problem with our foreign policy. No. From the beginning, there was a structural problem with this new uh, Turkish foreign policy. And let's look at the new instruments of foreign policy. And I totally took them from a Turkish Minister of Foreign Affairs publication. I didn't invent them. These are, I just copied and pasted here. These were given as the new foreign policy instruments. Multi-perspectivity, proactive foreign policy line supported by rhythmic diplomacy, presence on the ground, in particular during times of crisis, all-inclusive, I underline this, all-inclusive and equidistance policy, total performance in foreign policy, cooperation with the NGOs, business think tanks, intellectuals, etc. These were given as the main instruments of new Turkish foreign policy. Now, take Syria crisis and apply it here. Which kind of instruments do you see that Turkey had used in Syria crisis from the beginning, from late 2010. A few distance to all parties? Do you see it? Do you see it all inclusiveness in Syrian crisis? Do you see presence on the ground? Yes, we stay here, we make meetings only with the opposition. Therefore, these instruments were very well defined, when you read it, it sounds good, it is new, it is totally different than the old times foreign policy, but when it comes to use it, we didn't use it. There's a saying in Turkish. I know many of you know Turkish. Do what your professor says, but don't do what he does. So when it comes to theory, it's very good. 
But when it comes to apply it, we don't see it, particularly in this very Syrian crisis. Therefore, I just pass all what I have prepared here uh, for this presentation and directly go to uh, conclusion. The cause of current situation, I start with the nature of basics, or I may call the conflicted nature of, problematic nature of, of the essentials of Turkish, new Turkish foreign policy. But it is not only limited with those. Uh, I may say a second one is the miscalculation of Turkish capabilities or capacities. It's in the, in the first session, it was said first to human capacity, and it was quite interesting to learn that on the six diplomats in hundreds of Turkish representations can speak fluent Arabic. If you have only two handful number of diplomats who can speak Arabic, you cannot pursue a healthy uh, policy in Arab countries. And know-how in order to understand the real Arab uh, developments. How did the Middle Eastern rulers pursue democracy and Turkish model? It's a big question. We thought that Turkish model, in quotation marks, is a good thing for everyone in the region. For many opposition circles, liberals, yes, it's a good thing. They want a Turkish-type democracy in their countries, or they want their country to turn into a democracy, good relations with the West. But look at the rulers and their supporters. It doesn't necessarily mean only bureaucracy, including intellectuals, let's say in Saudi Arabia. Is the is Turkish model good for Saudi Arabia? If you go and ask to a Saudi intellectual, what will he say to you? What about Bahraini or Qatari one? I mean, in Turkey, we had such an illusion that Turkish model is something good. Everybody wants Turkey to be a leader of this region. No, totally uh, failed because of this misperception. And uh, when it comes to economy, it creates a lot of dichotomies. For instance, let's ask ourselves, which revolutions or Arab Supreme incidents did Turkey supported from the beginning and which not? We supported the revolution in Egypt, Tunisia. We take part in operation in Libya. And we, is, we are a party in the revolution in Syria. What happened to Bahrain revolution? Turkey did not say anything about it. And Saudi and Qataris, through the Arab League decision, they sent their tanks and just pushed down the revolution. All those opposition had gathered in a square called Pearl Square. There is no Pearl Square anymore in Bahrain. They just destroyed it, not let the people come together again. So Turkey did not give any reaction to what had happened in Bahrain. Do you know why? Because Turkish economy needs a lot of indirect investment, which means hot money influx coming some percentage of it coming from, from Gulf countries. Then you need Qatar money or Saudi money or United Arab Emirates, Dubai money, 
Bahrain money to come Turkey, and you met in Turkey. Can you criticize them? It's not reasonable. If you do them, do criticize, or link it with something else. We, we, we recently witnessed this in Egyptian situation. When some of the Turkish, not the prime minister, but some of the Turkish ministers or MPs started to criticize the Saudis, not giving support to Morsi, but having good relations with the newcomers, the cool leader. Then some uh, direct in, in, indirect investment from Gulf to Turkey put under, under threat. For instance, I will give a concrete example. United Arab Emirates investment bank just stopped to invest in Turkey. Yes. Finally, I have to make a conclusion. Another reason for the current situation, I, I think it is the internalization of Middle Eastern developments. We, at least in two years, start to equip every development in the Middle East with our domestic politics. Let's talk about this apology and compensation and other things about Israel. We put the raising line, bargaining line, too high. Therefore, after even after apology, we couldn't normalize our relations with Israel. And unfortunately, I said unfortunately, if this situation keep continue, then anti-Semitism will have some floor in Turkey, which in history we didn't have. But if you keep it as a scapegoat for everything, always, and if you do not satisfy with the apology, if you talk about the removal of Gaza blockade, which is impossible currently, as a third precondition for the normalization of the relations, then some radical instruments, of course, will use this floor. We always create some similarities between Arab developments and Turkish ones, particularly in Egypt. When I listened to Turkish TV, I thought, oh, this Egypt was, this coup was not, did not happen in Egypt, in, in Ankara, actually. Because we very much keep links, direct links, with it. I mean, if you are a, if you are against coup or you are a, uh, you are against democracy as well. Uh, so we lost our traditional balanced approach to the conflicting parties. Finally, falling apart from the EU targets. We do not give too much reference to EU issues anymore, but we should not forget in Turkey all this slowing down negotiations process, bring Turkey closer to the Middle East and far from the EU. And we should not forget that the, the main motive behind democratization and reforms in Turkey was the EU candidacy and negotiations process. I personally do not believe that within 20 years, 25 years, Turkey will become an EU member. But I do personally believe and I support that without EU anchor, it is not easy, Turkey, to go forward for the reforms. So this should be keep continued. We need a reassessment and renovation in Turkish foreign policy, a 
apart from their intellectual value, these six principles are uh, mostly they mostly lost their validity now, so we need to reassess and re-renovate. Internalization of the Middle Eastern developments for political purposes do not serve domestic tranquility, and Turkish foreign policy has been imprisoned by the Middle Eastern turmoils for three years now. Ankara should immediately recall its EU membership negotiations, which were a genuine impetus for democratization and transformation for Turkey. Thank you. So the second panelist, Al, Al Makoski, is going to Thank you. continue. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I just wanted to say thank you to the Rethink Institute for inviting me to this uh, very uh, interesting session with uh, um, these uh, very um, eminent uh, people in the field. Uh, I'm not sure I'm worthy, and I'm not sure I have all that much to add, but maybe just a few wrinkles. Um, first of all, I guess regarding the Arab Spring, yeah, I, I think I'd agree. It's not completely clear. I think people can still argue um, whether the Arab Spring ultimately will have good or bad implications for the Arabs, but I think it is fairly clear that um, it has had negative implications for Turkey's relations in the region and for Turkey's relations with the United States. Um, not all of this was Turkey's uh, direct fault. Turkey certainly had nothing to do with starting the Arab Spring, uh, but some of the approaches that Turkey took um, probably exacerbated the problems. And also, I would just say that you know, certainly Turkey's problems with the region and its problems with the United States regarding the region have not been spawned exclusively by the Arab Spring, but the Arab Spring has certainly highlighted and um, intensified those problems. And um, and I think it has uh, hastened Turkey's, the deterioration of Turkey's uh, stature in the region over the past uh, several years. Um, I guess one area where I might disagree a little bit with uh, some of the previous speakers, I think with uh, Chara and perhaps a little with Michael, although I only heard the end of the first panel, um, is on how we periodicize this deterioration because um, I think it really is primarily a phenomenon of the last four to five years, not um, not the entire period of the AK Party government. Let me just cite a uh, list a few of the way that Middle East issues have impacted U.S.-Turkish relations. First of all, um, just as uh, somebody said, I think in the previous panel, that Syria is the most important issue today for. Turkish foreign policy and for Turkey generally, it's also been the most important issue in U.S.-Turkish relations, uh, in the, certainly since the outbreak of the civil war in Syria. Is that me or? No, I don't. Oh. Um, I think there's really <laughs> been two, maybe three areas of disagreement 
regarding Syria. First of all, from the very beginning uh, of the formation of the opposition in an organized way, um, I think the United States has been unhappy that Turkey has been seen as primarily supportive of the Muslim Brotherhood element in the Syrian opposition, which seemed to be a, indeed, the dominant element. And I think, out of, for those of you who followed the Syria issue relatively closely, you know that um, it, towards the end of last year, actually in December of last year, uh, at U.S. initiative, um, a new organization was spawned to sort of supersede the Syrian National Council. It goes by the, it has a long name, but the shorthand references uh, the Syrian Opposition Council. And it was devised specifically to try to dilute the strength of the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, Turkey was not seen as a supporter of that effort. Um, but now when we're talking about the Muslim Brotherhood, we have to say the United States certainly saw them as part of the legitimate opposition. There's been a second problem, which I think has been a more serious one, and that has been the issue of the use, and uh, particularly through the traversing, the use of Turkish territory, particularly through the traversing of Turkish territory by the Nusra Front and by um, similarly radical Islamist groups. Now, I think there's some disagreement why Turkey does that. Um, I think there are some people who say, oh, there's certain ideological affinities uh, between Turkey and these radical groups. Um, I think there are others who see uh, Turkey taking a very pragmatic view, um, which Qatar and some other uh, states who were sympathized with the Syrian opposition also took. Um, when the United States first declared Nusra a terrorist group, which was also last December. Um, and that is, and I think the Turks said this openly, certainly the Qataris and some others did at the time, said, hey, why are we doing this now? Okay, these may be bad actors, but they're good fighters. Let's get rid of Assad first, and then we'll sort out the issues of who's a terrorist and who's a moderate and make sure that the good guys come out on top. Um, so that's another theory about why Turkey may have been uh, uh, giving, acquiescing to uh, extremist use of its territory. Um, and yet I think there's also some who believe that Turkey saw Nusra and the extremists as a good club to beat the PYD with. The general, what's generally seen as uh, a um, close affiliate of the PKK, sometimes seen as a wholly owned subsidiary of the PKK. Actually, in recent times, Turkey itself, I think, wisely has opened up its own dialogue with the PYD. Uh, but for a long time was, during the Syria conflict, for most of the Syria conflict, Turkey was concerned about the PYD's role by its growing strength and on the Turkish or on the Syrian side of the Turkish border, and pe some people believe that um, they wanted to use Nusra against them. 
whatever the reason, whichever of those theories are right, um, it has been a serious point of disagreement. Uh, and I believe uh, some people think was the major point of contention when Prime Minister Erdogan visited Washington uh, in May. Um, there's yet, I think, a, uh, you know, I really wonder, do I need this? I have kind of a loud voice, I think. Can we this I wonder if maybe we could, would it be better if we set it here or no? Because it seems every time I make a jet, okay, I'll do it your way. Um, but I think there's, you know, there is a third element of U.S. concern regarding Turkish policy on Syria. Um, and that is, I think there has been some suspicion that Turkey has been a cheerleader for strong action against the Assad regime, um, but for strong U.S. action without Turkey itself actually being willing to shoulder the responsibility. It's been a suspicion. Now, I have to say, look, what's the evidence? Well, um, there was a very interesting Wall Street Journal article, which was about uh, the development of uh, US policy towards Syria. Um, this was about six or seven months ago. Uh, said the Hillary Clinton last June, sorry, June of 2012, made a visit to Turkey to talk, what she wanted to talk about the high zone that Turkey had been advocating uh, so avid, avidly. And uh, she discovered that Turkey really was not interested in participating in any way, even if, um, Uh, even if the U.S. was willing to do a no-fly zone. I, look, I, you know, um, I don't know, I don't like to say one newspaper article proves everything, and who knows, newspaper articles make mistakes too, but my sense is that that was accurate insofar as it goes, and I think there has been a general feeling in the atmosphere on the part of some that Turkey has not been willing to um, put its money where its mouth is, as the expression goes. Um, look, I think, it, to be fair on Syria, we have to say, there's been a horrible situation for Turkey. You know, we, it's been repeated at this session, we don't have to go into it, everybody's familiar with the, the 200,000 refugees in the camp, the possibly 500,000 Syrians overall now uh, in Turkey. Um, it's not talked about so much, but I have to imagine that with all of the generals and admirals uh, who have been indicted and convicted and put in jail, um, I can't imagine that the Turkish military is at its strongest right now. 
and particularly is in a good position to join in any kind of uh, major action. Um, we saw how long it took to respond to the shootdown of the Turkish jet fighter. Um, by the way, I'm not saying these generals should or should not be in jail. That's not my point. I mean, societies can't do everything for the sake of foreign policy. Um, that's not the point. But I think as a uh, let's grant that uh, they should be in jail, they should be indicted. Nevertheless, it undoubtedly has an impact on a military when you remove so many senior officers in such a short span of time. So I don't think Turkey's at its militarily strongest right now. Um, and of course, Erdogan, I think in reacting to Syria, was reacting very much to the Libya template. He was slow to join the U.S. team on Libya. Uh, he finally came around, he did a 180. On Syria, I think he felt that it was going to follow a similar dynamic. And he, want, and he got on the team, early, not from day one, but quite early. Um, he decided to align his policy with the United States, that Assad must go, um, only to discover that the U.S.'s policy that Assad must go is simply a declaratory policy for the most part, simply a declaratory policy um, and not something that we have operationalized in any active way. There are other issues um, between Turkey and the Middle East. I think Israel, we could talk for a long time about that. Um, I'll just say recently that um, uh, the White House response when Erdogan recently said that Israel uh, was responsible for the coup in Egypt. Um, White House response was very strong. I actually I have it somewhere. Yeah, offensive, unsubstantiated, and wrong. Um, that was the most strongest reaction that the administration's had to anything that Turkey has said so far. And I think it reflects not only the fact that it was an outrageous statement and could have had a rabble-rousing effect in the region, um, but I think it also reflects the building exasperation uh, over a number of issues. Um, ex building exasperation on the part of the administration with Turkey, that is. Uh, on a number of issues, Syria being number one, but also um, uh, Israel, as I've said, Iraq, um, uh, with, uh, with Turkey's seeming un intent on building a pipeline directly to the Kurdish regional government, Kurdistan regional government, bypassing Baghdad, his bad relations with Maliki, uh, which was a change from when Turkey was able to talk to everyone in Iraq. Um, and, uh, um, I think Gezi Park sent a negative message in terms of it making it difficult to promote Turkey as a democracy. Um, I'll just say, uh, look, there's a lot we can say about Turkey in the region, I guess we'll say in the discussion, but regarding the impact on relations with the U.S., Turkey and the U.S. are fated to remain 
close allies. I think that will continue. Turkey is a strategically vital piece of real estate for Turkey. Uh, and I think it's very important that the United States have a formal ally, alliance uh, with a Muslim majority nation. Um, and Turkey is, in many ways, quite democratic. Um, and I think the United States, for arms sales and many other reasons, remains critical to Turkey. Um, but what I think has happened over the past, um, and I would really date it more since about 2008, so what has really happened during that time is that the idea of Turkey as a model for the region, and more than that, as an answer to, by being a model, as an answer to our problems, America's problems, uh, with Islamist extremism, I think that has eroded, particularly in recent times uh, regarding Kesey Park. Um, second of all, uh, I as we all know, President Obama talked openly about his close personal relationship with Prime Minister Erdogan. Last year, he listed him as one of five leaders with whom he shares bonds of uh, friendship and trust. Um, we also know of all the phone calls that he made to the Prime Minister, just the ones that were announced, particularly at the beginning of the Arab Spring. I think we have to conclude from that that he saw Prime Minister Erdogan not just as a friend and an ally, but as an authority on the Middle East. I think that is inevitably eroded by the seemingly wrong bets that Turkey uh, has made, um, primarily on the Muslim Brotherhood uh, in the Middle East. And so I, I think it's not that the alliance will suddenly disintegrate, not at all. But I think it is coming under stresses in some of these other elements, which have been bonding elements. The, uh, the friendship with Obama, the respect from Obama, I think, uh, to, and some of those things were to such an extent that even despite Turkey's problems with Israel, that he maintained excellent relations, that, that Erdogan maintained excellent relations with the White House, I think these are the things that have disintegrated. And I think that they represent, uh, they encapsulate what some of the challenges are for the bilateral relationship in the years ahead. Thank you. So as a last panelist, I'm trying to tell you about something uh, as you see on the line yes our survey at one side we see that middle is changing among the Arab awakenings and at the other side Turkey would like to change its foreign policy on on Middle East so two parties dynamic and there are so many things to research and some of the experts are discussing the Turkish position with the negative descriptions and some of them with the positives. Um, and the authorities who try to understand and inter inter protect the region needs actually absolutely some data uh, parallel to 
open speeches of the politicians or some articles in the newspapers or, 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 or journals. Um, each group who wants to make a revolution actually they are not all would like to have democracy in the region and the groups who would like to have democracy in the Middle East they have a different perception on democracy and as a Turkish academicians we would like to discuss all these terms and recover the Turkish foreign policy because it is there are some um, terms which we can actually see in all articles, scientific or journalistic articles, just like mobile country, foreign policy with the sector reference, no Ottomanism in Turkish foreign policy, access shift, which is discussed in USA after the problems between Turkey or conflicts between Turkey and Israel uh, deeply, or a century and leader country, self-confidence explanation in Turkish foreign policy, such these terms, you know, if you can account, many others. What is it exactly? The main actors in this case, uh, how the Turkish foreign policy is in the Middle East, is the Middle East elites. Then we decided to have one survey to find out how the Middle East elites sees the Turkish foreign policy. And we shared, we used actually two different scholars. So vertically, and vertically we shared these elites according to their ethnicity in Syria, Iraq, Palestine, Israel, and so on, or according to their religions or sectarians. And horizontally, we tried to uh, shape these elites, actually, or make a scholar of these elites, actually, according to their political uh, decisions or according to their political preference. If there are 20% conservatives in Syria, then we try to have actually 20% of conservative elites or Islamist elites in 10% or and so on. To uh, have the, actually the big picture on these countries. And what did we find out? How, what kind of questions did we ask? How do the East elites have, uh, Middle East elites have a perception about Turkey and that is no Ottomanist or imperial or are they in a competition with Turkey in terms of determining situation around the regional power? How, cool, how close could the foreign policy affairs which started with a zero problem neighbor relations get into in, in this goal? As, is, as it is claimed thus, Ankara follow a denominational Sunni Shia foreign policy in the region or not? We ask more than these questions, and everybody says something about the, says actually something about the Middle East, and we would like to take a big picture just for a limited time, of course. We did done this survey, survey between, um, as you see, as you cannot see, it does not stand here, maybe here. Yes, between 15 March and 1st June. It means we done this field study before Egypt coup, or we, we before the chemical um, attack actually in Syria, or which is much more important, before the Gezi protest in Istanbul. But as you know, it is not just like an election. 
uh, elections. It is the perception of Turkish foreign policy. We don't believe that the percentages change dramatically. Of course, those makes an impact on, on, on all questions and answers. But try to we are going to try to tell and understand the whole questions with this mentality. Um, we have actually more than 20 questions, or nearly 20 questions, but I am going to tell here not more than six, eight of them, which I find much more important. In order to determine the thoughts of the Middle East elites about the question of whether or not there is a shift in the access of Turkish foreign policy, they were asked with which of the above mentioned statements about Turkish foreign policy tendency they agree or disagree. Here at the end, you see the total in the Middle East. I don't know if you can read this. This is a little bit bad table, but the others are well organized because we have many questions here. So the colors, the green is there is no shift from Turkey to Western orientation. Uh, the dark green is Turkey has moved away from the East and started to propose a Western-oriented foreign policy, which we can see just in Tunisia. And blue is Turkey has begun to propose a sui generis, sui generis foreign policy that is dependent of the East-West axis, independent of the East-West axis. Um, we can see this actually not indominantly in one country. Uh, one of the most important answers was that Turkey has moved away from the West and started to propose Eastern-oriented foreign policy which we can see dominantly in Israel, Libya, and in Iraq. And another popular answer was red, and it is that Turkey had begun to propose a more balanced foreign policy with both Western and Eastern countries. In total, we see uh, red and uh, yellow answers. Uh, how can we comment this? At one side, Turkey as the other panelists tried to explain, especially Professor Dahl, Turkey had actually uh, limited contact with the Middle East before the AK Party governments. And during the AK Party governments, as before the Arab Springs and after the Arab Springs, so they interested much actually in the region. It is correct that they would like to do something there. But uh, at the other, uh, parallel to this, we see that uh, some states like Egypt, uh, Lebanon, Palestine try to say that Turkey has begun to propose a more balanced foreign policy. But parallel to this, Israel, um, Libya, and Iraq said something different. As we look at the end of our survey, we discussed the results and uh, that the elites created their answers more dominantly rather than their political uh, ideas, than their sectarian or ethnic or ethnicity. We will see the, actually with the other answers this clearly. The second question was, in which we see a clear, the same answer nearly in all countries, maybe except a little bit in Iraq, um, where there was a question in a research that, do you agree with the statement that Turkish foreign policy has come closer to Muslim world. Included Israel, they all say yes. So the relations became closer. But it is not enough to say something about it. What is to become closer? Is, is it negative or positive? 
we are going to understand it within an, another uh, questions. And the other question is, uh, do you agree with that statement that Turkey started to have more voice in international policy? It's a parallel question. Uh, first one was in Muslim world, and second one in the international relations. Uh, again, we can see here this more or less the similar answers, except Israel. Here, uh, the Israel elites has 30 uh, persons has actually negative answers that Turkey is not becoming important actor in international politics. The following question is about um, be the leader of the Muslim world. Do you believe that Turkey's foreign policy is to became to the leader of the Muslim world? What does it mean? Is it something positive or negative? As the Arabs would like to have their freedom from their own dictators, I believe that it is something negative if Turkey perceives a leadership in the region. But at the other side, the states or the regions like Palestine and the others might thought that so we need some helps of them or the oppositions in the Syria. We see Turkey as a leader and they have to continue to help us. So the motivation might be different. We need here to understand the results, detailed questions, which we cannot ask actually because we had actually enough questions. We cannot make detailed research on one question. But um, as you see here, dominantly Libya and Israel thinks that, or included Lebanon, Palestine, and Iraq thinks that uh, Turkey has this motivation. Is it positive or negative? We need a detailed search, but I believe that it is something negative, especially as the, these, this society would like to have their awakeness for their uh, freedom and democracy and so on. Who would like to have a new leader in the region? Um, but there might be other motivations. Some of them might answer this actually positively too. Um, a parallel question to this was the neo-Ottomanism neo-Ottomanistic ideas of Turkish foreign policy or Turkish foreign policy decision makers. Turkey acts um, as if it is the protector of the Ottoman geography. We ask this question so because in some countries uh, the Ottoman Empire has not actually only positive senses. That's why we, we discussed longly how can we actually create this question the guardian of the ex-Ottoman geography, okay? Because decision makers said sometimes that we are not follower of the Ottoman Empire. We are not going to create the Ottoman Empire again, but we have some sensibilities on this geography. So parallel to this, uh, we ask this question. So, and as you see that Israel and Libyan answered the question more or less with the same percentages, but I believe that their motivation is a little bit different. Uh, at the end, as we look on total, more than 50% Arab elites thinks that Turkey has this aim. So this, the decision makers uh, in Turkish foreign policy have to talk about this. But, well, how can we comment this? Only 30% of the Arab elite says no. Dominantly Egypt, of course, the leader of the Arab world, cannot say that. 
uh, we are part of the Ottoman Empire or cannot uh, think this term is a positively. Then Tunisia, uh, more than total average uh, negative answers. And of course, Syria. And of course, Syria. Uh, and the following question is, which is, I think, one of the most important questions in our survey. In the countries where the research was carried out, elites were required to answer if they agree with the statement that Turkey focuses on foreign policy goals which exceed its economic and military ability. So Turkey, in soft power era, Turkey used these instruments very well to have a visa regime with these countries, to make a trade with these countries, open the borders for them. It made a positively impact on tourism, and so on and so on. But in hard power times, we all, the professors who supported actually the zero problems uh, policy of AK Party and so on began to ask some questions, critical questions. And included the Turkish economy and the military capacity or the security policies was an important instrument of these questions because Iraq, Iran, has actually energy resources that they can finance their problematic politics in the region, but Turkey not. Turkey can only benefit from the peace, freedom, democracy that they can, that Turkey create more trade relations with the regional governments or uh, States and which can which these positive things make can make indirectly or indirectly impact on Turkish tourism. Turkey earns its own money from this, except the hot money which came from the Gulf countries. So as you see, in total, more than 40 percent. But the blue answer is no idea and no answer is there too, and they are not less. One of them is over 10%, one of them is more than 5%, or just 5%. Dominantly, they said that uh, I don't agree over 40%, but nearly 40% of them said that I agree with this. So it is not less. Nearly 40% of the elites thinks that uh, Turkish foreign policy aims and ideas are much more than its capacity. The next question is, for instance, we ask that um, in your country, which country will you name as the regional power? Here we have one follow-up question, which is, what is your perception? Who is the regional power in the Middle East? The yellow is Iran, the red is Turkey, and blue is Egypt, and the green is Israel. There's United States. Regional power. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is not included geographically, that's why. But as you see, first, what, what, what we totally surprised that Palestinian, el Palestinian elites dominantly said that Israel, Israel is the regional power. Here we surprised, and we done this survey in both parts, in Gaza Strip and in Palestine too. 
Um, concentrate yourself, please, on red answers. This is Turkey. In Tunisia, in Libya, we see that the regional power, they see the Turkey, they are more or less as so-called as a successful Arab Spring countries. And in Iraq, they get some positive answer from the Sunni Kurds and Sunni Arabs, but the Shia Arabs dominantly answered this is negatively, no, Turkey, not. Iran is the regional power in this region. And, and Lebanon, we see dominantly that, that, that Iran is strong there. You see that if you ask a question between Iran and Turkey, the answers came more according to their sectarian preferences. The follow-up question is much more interesting. In 10 years, who is going to be regional power in the Middle East? Not today. The percentage of Turkey is not changing, but the Iran. In 10 years, most of the elites thinks that Iran is not going to be so powerful as it is today. It was before Rouhani era, by the way. He began to make some Ahmadinejad era. He began to make some positive attacks. I'm inspired with this. But uh, as you see that even the elites who supports or who sees the Iran as a regional power, they answer in the total, I have no answer and no idea. But uh, the elites who saw actually Turkey as a regional power, they continue that in coming 10 years, Turkey is going to be an important state in the region. It is discussable, of course. We don't know what will happen there. We don't know if Turkey can continue the economic success. But the picture is so today. Um, again, another important question, which is discussed in scientific journals or in, in, in media organs with the politicians and experts too, the Turkish model. I'm not using the Turkish model. Turkey has an aim to have Brussels as a model for to change its own democracy. So we cannot talk about a unique Turkish model, but maybe um, an experience, Turkish experience with a Muslim society, with secularism and democracy. That's why we ask the question, so do you think that Turkish democratization or Turkey's democratization experience can be a source of inspiration of the Middle East or Middle East countries? In total, we see that the Middle East elites thinks that they have something to get from the Turkish experiments or experiences. And in Iraq, we see that there are some negative answers, much more than the other countries, but they are not more, much more than 40%. We have the same 40% because they have their model in Iran. Uh, here we see again, I believe that, within cross-check questions, we see here in um, sectarian um, references. Um, and the next question is, I don't have much, I have two or three, is on which country land should the independent, no, Sunni Shi, sorry, sorry, this is another one. 
But do you think that Turkey follows a sectarian Sunni Shi'i foreign policy towards the Middle East? This is actually another very important question. So we see here that it was understood from the answers that answers were shaped according to elites, dominational and ethnic origins. By Libya, 95%, Israel, 89%, Lebanon, 60%, Iraq, 55%, elites stated that Turkey follows a denominational foreign policy. Arab rising countries like Syria, Egypt, and Tunisia didn't agree with this thought. But as we look on total answers, the yes is over 50%. It is uh, and one of the most important results that we find in the survey that I believe that, that Turkey should care about. Last question is about Kurdistan in the region, which is not directly something to do with Turkish foreign policy, but indirectly. We ask that, do you think that there should be an independent Kurdish state in the region? In total, we see that more than 50% said no. 35% of the Middle East answered this with yes. For the peoples who said yes, we ask another question. If you say yes, um, on the if you think that Turkey should be involved, no, this is not. Oh, 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 oh. Game over. In so, where should be the territories of this state? Then we asked. Only in Turkey, only in Iraq, Iran, Turkey, in Iraq. So dominantly, but just these 35 persons who answered positively, the addresses. So the yellow is Iraq, Syria, and Turkey. And the red is Iraq, Iran, Syria, and Turkey. And blue is Turkey, just in Turkey. As you see that, um, as we turn back here, who would like to have the Kurdish state in the region dominantly? Iraq, of course, there are some Kurds. But much more than Iraq, Israel would like to have independent Kurdish state in the region. And it makes an actual impact on the total, of course, these two regions. And Syria. In Syria, there are some Kurds, and we created our... Sorry, sorry to interrupt. For Iraq, is it a, do you have a breakdown between the Arabs and the Kurds? Sure. Sure. In, I, all I, I countries, in all countries, as I mentioned, we ha have chosen the elites according to at first ethnicity and religion, then according to their politically ideas or politically positions or preferences. And the last question is about Syria. If you think that Turkey should be involved in the re structuring of Syria in the post-Assad period, which of the following internal systems of governance should Turkey provide support for? Dominantly, they answered with a red, a unitary democracy republic that protects Syria's territor territorial integrity. Uh, in Lebanon, we see something different. They have a Lebanon model. And in Israel, we see uh, some different ideas too. But in nearly in all other countries, they would like to have a solution 
a unitary and democratic and territorial integrity of Syria. The second popular answer is division of Syria into independent states established along ethnic and sectarian lines. And we can see this in Israel, Lebanon, and in Iraq. In Iraq, always the Kurds would like to have the Kurds with their own territory there. They have an interest. Uh, Israel would like to have and divided Syria. Uh, I believe that because of um, security understanding of Syria, so small three Syrias will be easier. Or the other countries, we cannot recommend their, their answers. So how can we comment all these issues? Each revolution attempt that is not successful, and it returns actually to Ankara as a big problem. And as we look that there is not a unique Middle East, and Turkey should care about this, such as instability, security problems, new refugees, close of foreign trademarks, and trading of expensive energy and, and tourism. All these are problematic things if we don't have a, a stability in the Middle East. So the Middle East thinks that Turkey has achieved this success by getting closer to Islam geography, as we looked on the relations with the Western axis shift and, and so on. Here, just I would like to add one comment. Maybe the relation of Turkey on NATO, sometimes against the Iran and sometimes to protect the Israel in the region and so on, the elite sees Turkey that Ankara still try to balance its foreign policy in the region. And as we see that, as we look round around to Turkey, included Georgia, we don't have now well-organized nation states, we begin to see round around Turkey some autonomous groups. In Georgia, there are three different autonomous groups, four, sometimes four. Uh, in Iraq, there are autonomous groups. In Syria, it will continue and we will have some autonomous groups there, and in some other countries in the Middle East. This will have an enormous cost, actually, for Turkish foreign policy and, and, and security policies, too. So thank you very much. So our panel is finished here, and you're welcome with your answers. So questions? Please. Um, again, I'm Audrey Williams. I'm from the Stinson Center. Uh, this, is, this is something you've touched upon um, quite a bit with the question about the sectarian divide. Mm -hmm. um, it's something I've been wondering, and, and um, uh, I guess my question would be primarily directed uh, towards you, but mm -hmm. both the panelists as well, if you want to um, have answers as well. But my question is, uh, there seems to be some evidence that people in the Middle East are seeing Turkey as divided along sector, as playing into the sectarian conflicts, as playing into the Sunni-Shia divide. And I was wondering if um, Turkey itself, in its foreign policy, has been inching closer to becoming more of a Sunni power. And if, if there's, uh, you know, I know that in the past mm -hmm. it has, it's mostly stayed out of the Sunni-Shia divide and, and the regional powers have been Saudi as the Sunni and Iran as the Shia. But is there some shift now? Is Turkey going more towards one side is the AKP 
trying to, or is there a divide in the AKP? Or there's some people who want to and some people who don't. And I know that's a lot of questions. So anything, any mm -hmm. comment on Turkey's orientation would be helpful. Thank you. So I personally believe that as we look before the Arab Spring era, Turkey would like to have a better relations with Assad and had with Iran. So the directors, decision makers in Syria was dominantly Alawites, which is a part of the Shia, and in Iran, of course, the Shias, or the other Gulf countries. Turkey actually cares, cared about much more before the Arab Spring era to have a better relations with these countries to make more benefit, trading state theories right now. But after the Arab Spring era, I don't believe that Turkey cares about the Sunni Shia, but they might be sensible about the Islamism and so on. Are they or conservatives? But we shouldn't forget that in Egypt, the Ivan was an elected peoples, and Turkey is ready to benefit from the democratic countries. As I explained in my uh, speech, so if there is a democracy, if we can have a an, an, an future perspective in the region, then Turkey can invest in the region, and Turkey can uh, make better political and economical relations in the region, and so on. What kind of benefit is going to Turkey have when Turkey going to have a sectarian policies in the region? It has not been concretely a, a positive answer. Tur Turkey cannot have benefit. Turkey, as I mentioned, Turkey don't have energy resources and 40% of Turkey's, Turkey's budget deficit goes to the energy. Turkey is dependent on energy. Turkey gets actually from Russia and Iran and Iraq energy to fulfill its economic processes. So I don't believe that uh, Turkey can have sectarian policies in the region, but I believe that the decision makers might have sensible on Muslim politicians, which are conservatives and so on. Would you like to add something? I don't know. Really? You, I'll say something I about just on the U.S. Uh, perception, I think. Um, I think for a long time, prior to the Arab Spring, it was perceived uh, maybe just a little before, it was perceived that Turkey wanted to get along with everyone in the region and wanted to be a, a diplomatic hub, in a sense. Um, once it came to be perceived, however, that Turkey was particularly close with Islamist groups, even nonviolent ones, Muslim Brotherhood, um, and then, of course, uh, in, in Egypt and Tunisia, and then, of course, uh, in Syria. Um, I think people started to read back a little bit. And they said, oh, yeah, you know, they tried to, they interfered in Iraq to try to uh, get a no-confidence vote against Maliki. That could have been a Sunni-Shiite thing. Bahrain, which, Chara, which you mentioned. It was interesting at a time when Turkey really was reaching out to everyone. They really stayed totally out of that. And as far as I understood, the Shia <coughs> parties there uh, really didn't have much of a relationship with Turkey. So I think people, because of more recent developments, people here 
have tended to increasingly to see Turkey as a uh, sectar as having a sectarian policy. I really fairly or not. As Prime Minister Erdogan called Ahmadinejad my brother Ahmadinejad, as all over the world, it was just like to support the. Uh, U.S. Russia sure, during the Cold War to support the Iran in nuclear crisis. And he visited Najaf, and yeah. he made the deal in Lebanon in 2008, working closely with Hezbollah. Yeah, at that time, people didn't see it that way. Okay. Any other questions? Could I, title? <laughs> could I just make one more? I know people are probably tired of hearing all of our voices, particularly mine. I don't know, but... I did just want to take on slightly, um, uh, in minority view of one, um, some of the debunking of the zero problem policy. Um, I mean, Chara, you did it in a sophisticated way. It's often joked about in this town as if it was something very naive that all you had to do was say that you want zero problems and you'll have zero problems. And of course, there's a joke which, you know, which accompanies it. Uh, instead, Turkey has zero neighbors without problems, meaning without problems with Turkey. But I really think that it's the wrong way to look at it. Um, the initial implementation was fine. I don't think it should be looked at as a policy. It was a slogan. It was a way of saying to the region, we want to get along with you. We're Muslim like you. Uh, we don't see ourselves as better because we're part of a Western alliance. And we want to do business with you. And we don't want to interfere in your, uh, in your affairs. And I think in those early days, I think it wasn't a very effective policy reinforcing the early part of the AK Party policy, which was activist, and an, with an ability to mediate with parties. I think it's when it became an interventionist policy, when at least when Turkish policy became interventionist, that, that the Kemalist foreign policy or preventionist means? Interventionist? Interventionist. 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 Believe me, is not a stupid man. He's an extremely bright man. I think he knows as well as anyone you can't just say zero problems, and you're going, that means you're going to have zero problems. It takes two to tango. But I think as a slogan uh, for how it was initially understood, um, I thought it was something that was effective. And so I don't, you know, I just want a little bit to separate myself uh, from some of the others. And I also don't think. Uh, you know, the initial phases of the AK Party policy. Um, the first few years of it, certainly through the Gul, the era when Gul was prime minister and then foreign minister, were really regional failures. I thought they were, for the most part, quite successful, even where I may have had my own personal disagreements, but in general, I thought was successful. So I just wanted to say that. Yeah, interview for just one sentence. Good. Okay, for. The zero problems approach, I'm sure, uh, as you know, the minister himself and the ministry, they also started to update it by each development. And it is quite visible 
in Ministry of Foreign Affairs web page. Now we have some internet instruments that you can trace back to the previous internet sites. I mean, the same URL. How was it five years ago? Then what happened? Then what happened? And I did it when I prepared my presentation here for two things. The zero problems approach. I entered to the web page uh, for Israel and for uh, Syria. And I realized that the page about Israel updated frequently within two years, three years, and we reached a final phase like this. We started, I mean, I started my search in late 2009. In 2009, Ministry of Foreign Affairs webpage for Turkish-Israel relations were, was starting with a very interesting phrase, historical friendly relations between Turks and Jews played an important role in establishment of current firm relations between Turkey and Israel. This is September 2009. It is omitted. You cannot find it now. Turkish Minister of Yes, they update their policy every day. The second one, based on mutual benefit, Turkish-Israeli relations developed in almost all fields recently. Legal framework of bilateral cooperation is maintained by a series of agreements and quite a number of high-level visits have been done. Turkish-Israeli relations with its transparent multilateral character as well as not directly the third country continues to its improvement not only to serve mutual interest but also to contribute regional peace and stability. Omitted. This was, but it was there in September '09. Yes, it was there. For, and you can, so, you can use this instrument. I mean, you can just download so it from. So eight months from, after the Gaza War ended, which was yes. probably the real breakpoint. Yes, it was there. It, it was there. I, it was. I have eight, a feeling, it was eight months after Davos incident. I have a feeling it was there. I have a feeling nobody at the prime ministry was monitoring the foreign ministry website. But, and another one was about. By, by the way, I, it was always my impression. You know, context is everything. We know that the the foreign minister Daudalu wrote a book on strategic depth and what the point of it was. It's true, he never defined who exactly the neighbors are. I don't think most people saw Israel as necessarily to be understood as one of the zero problems. I mean, instead, Israel became one of the instruments for building relations, unfortunately. And what, what I show you here is about the Turkish-Syrian relations, 2012, January. Yes, there was a, a call to Assad to listen to his own people for reforms. But in August 2013, it is quite different. I mean, our policy vis-a-vis -vis Syria supports the shaping of the future of this country in line with the legitimate aspirations of its people and maintenance of her territorial integrity. And it is, and there is a, a justification for zero problems approach here. And it's quite interesting because most of the criticism for zero problems came from the Syria policy. They said here, 
This is not due to, due to a failure or inconsistency of our zero problems approach, but the approach of the Syrian regime, which through its actions made it impossible to continue good regular relations. It's not our guilt. It's their guilt. And it's not an academic explanation, unfortunately, I may say. Uh, finally, uh, this strategic depth book was given a lot of references to today's uh, panels. Uh, in maybe some of them, some of you know it. In early 2000s, just after the book was written, it was given a supplementary book in Turkish Military Academy because it was pursued as a masterpiece of geopolitics and realism. And it is nothing to do with this new Turkish foreign policy. When you, the six principles of new Turkish foreign policy, you cannot find all of them is a strategic depth. Strategic depth is something different. It is a geopolitically oriented, uh, realistic book. And just read the pages about Cyprus. And then think, how can a government in which the foreign minister is the writer of this book can pursue a very different policy about Cyprus? Because in, we, we support Annan Pilar. If you look at the Cyprus page of strategic tab, it reads like this. Even no single Turk is living on the island. Let's think about it. No single Turk is living on the island. Cyprus is still a very important geopolitical uh, target of Turkey. So this is a realistic approach. Okay, we have a question here. Just two quick uh, points and question maybe. Uh, many people have been uh, criticizing uh, Turkish uh, foreign policy recently, including myself. Uh, but one point uh, you stated that uh, uh, the Assad was a dictator before and also now why Turkey has changed. Even on the ground, Syrians, when you talk in 2012, Syrians themselves said that they had hopes uh, with the Assad till very, you know, uh, very recently maybe 2009-2010. So I believe that blaming the uh, AKP party for its better relations with the Assad regime before uh, 2011, when the under 1,000 people uh, have not been slaughtered yet, that would be a little unfair, uh, my opinion. And the second point is, uh, Ellen, you, you uh, argued that you, you talk about the uh, US policy on Syria two years ago when the Turkish administration was trying to convince the U.S. government not to go ahead and call on Assad to step down, and nevertheless, uh, his administration went ahead and, and called on that. Maybe U.S. administration postponed two weeks uh, for, for his call, but eventually. And from uh, uh, that point, uh, the Turkish policymakers went ahead and apparently the prime minister uh, even uh, went further. But my question is, today uh, many people argue that the U.S. should not go a slippery slope and not take uh, uh, and you know, make uh, intervention. Uh, don't you think that U.S. by two years ago uh, undercutting the diplomacy and putting on Assad already on slippery slope and it's now its commitment uh, uh, to make a difference in Syria and saying that, you know, we cannot do anything about it. Don't you think it's little, you know, little standard? 
little too much of a double standard, maybe I should say. Okay, I feel comfortable here because I didn't start to criticize Turkish foreign policy recently, as many people do. I criticized for the last 10 years. So when I was criticizing it, many people said to me, okay, what are you talking about? Are you a supporter of Stotiko, etc., etc.? Now they are criticizing harshly than me. It's quite interesting. Secondly, this is not a political criticism. If I was a member of CHP, I would say and blame that uh, they couldn't uh, prevent him to be more brutal, I mean the Assad regime, and, and it could be unfair. I criticize the principles here. I mean, if you are proactive, then you should have predicted what would he uh, did in, in the I mean, Assad would do. So you are either not proactive or incapable. This is not something political and directed with the ruling party. I'm critical about the imaginary new Turkish, so-called new Turkish policy, foreign policy. It was an illusion. All these principles, they were illusion. It, and it was, they were not operable from the beginning. Yes, it was some new at, as attempts, but from the beginning, we faced with very difficulties, starting with this Armenian issue. So it is not a political uh, crit, uh, uh, opposition, but an academic one. If I understood your question correctly, um, I, and maybe I didn't make myself clear, but yes, I think Turkey had reason to think that the U.S. was going to take a much more aggressive stance towards uh, Bashar al-Assad than it ultimately did, and part of the reason I believe that Turkey was so forward-leaning so quickly in its own policy was because it thought that the U.S. was essentially in lockstep and was willing to go much further than it ultimately did to bring down Assad. I hope that speaks to your question. If not, we can continue after 5 o'clock. So if there is no other questions, I thank you for your and listening here and for the panelists who came here and for the Reading Institute to invite us here. Oh, really? We have food offered outside? And I believe that we have something to drink you to this. <laughs> Thank you very much. Reading Institute.